to Forming the Spirit Within, a podcast for spiritual formation. I'm Pastor Brad Riley, and in this podcast, you'll find a collection of Bible studies, sermons, and discipleship classes I've taught over the years. My goal in each of these episodes is to help equip you as you seek a deeper understanding of your faith as an apprentice of Jesus Christ. Thanks for joining me on the journey, and I pray this podcast is a blessing in helping to form the Spirit of Christ within you. Thanks for listening. Thank you for joining me tonight at a brand new time and in a brand new place. Uh, You know, when uh, COVID hit, we started doing these from my basement, and then I was able to do them from the counseling office. But you know, uh, as the middle of last year, you know that I began pastoring here in Udall at the Udall United Methodist Church, uh, along with my uh, Brad Riley Ministries, and I am just so blessed by this place, and I just, you know, I want to do Bible study in the church, I, I want to keep this Bible study going, but why don't I just meld the two, you know? Right now we're in a time where it seems like everybody's still nervous to get back in live, and I understand that to a point. But I know God is with us. He's working us towards something. He's really been growing us and stretching us in this time. To, and I believe he wants to help us learn how to conquer our fears. But uh, at the same time, we want to be smart. We've got lots of room here for, uh, for people to spread out. And it might take a while to get people used to a Wednesday night study here live in the town of Udall. But who knows? Uh, you know, I started Brad Riley Ministries Bible Study. Six years ago, it'll be six years this August. It was August, I think it was August the 14th of the year uh, 2014. That's when we started. That's when I I began. I I said I I wanted to start a verse-by-verse, in-depth study of the Bible, going through books of the Bible that would be such that we we could really sink our teeth into the history to the context, to the language, and really try and see what is this saying? What did it say to them? And only when we know what it said to them can we know what it says to us today. So a lot of context has to be given and, and a lot of uh, in-depth in study. So, you know, that, that was my passion. That's still my passion. Uh, I, I've, I've always said I would be doing this to an empty room if nobody ever came and nobody ever watched because this is what uh, this is what my passion is, and uh, someday I'll have a record if God leaves me here long enough of studying all the books of the Bible. Who knows if I'll ever get that far uh, before I run out of time on this earth? But but you've been along. Some of you have been along with me uh, a long time on this road, and I'm really thankful for that. Um, but others are new and pop in from time to time through the medium of Facebook. This last year. The live streaming aspect, we've really been able to reach boundaries outside of anything I ever imagined. Lots of states, even a few in other countries from time to time. I'm just really blessed by that. But uh, but tonight, you know, I, I want to settle in with you and just kind of get back in the rhythm. The Christian life is a lot about rhythm. We, we worship, we follow the Christian calendar, and uh, or at least we can. Uh, not every church does, but... There's power in that if we will, if we'll follow the rhythms of the life of Jesus and, and learn how to celebrate and feast in our lives as well as, as mourn and uh, repent and just have time for uh, 
really deep thought and meditation and other times of activity and growing. So it, it really is it's a life cycle. The Christian faith is a life cycle. And, and studying the Word, especially the Gospels, is like walking through a rhythm of life with Jesus Christ. I love that. We're in the Gospel of Luke, and we're eight chapters in. This is part three of eight. And I want to, uh, want to pick up where we left off. It was 11 weeks ago that we last were able to study together like this. A lot got in the way. I didn't know what happened. We had, uh, you know, we had the holiday of Thanksgiving. We had, after that, I was sick as could be with COVID. Uh, you know, you try and do your best. You wear the masks. You wash your hands. You do everything. But ultimately, I've always said, you can't hide from a virus forever. And, and ultimately, it, it does kind of need to be out there to build some immunity. But now that we've gotten this, now that we have this uh, vaccine, I'm praying we can really start to build immunity because you know, I actually am blessed to have my first shot. I get my second shot tomorrow, uh, tomorrow afternoon. Uh, so uh, thankful for that. And those of you who are, I know it's the next phase is opening up. I want to encourage you to get it. And let's let's get it and then let's get on with life and let's let's get to being the church that God called us to be. And one of the things I know is that God didn't call us to be the church in isolation. And the learning how to use the, the airwaves, the online streaming to reach others for the gospel has been powerful for the church. But we also still need to be the power of the gospel in the flesh, in the community, meeting people, talking with people, serving people. And uh, so I'm really praying that we will get going there. Hey, I see Sarah joined in with us, and I'm glad you're listening, Sarah, just kind of sharing a little background, uh, why it's been 11 weeks that I've been off of this. The old time slot was 11 o'clock on Thursday mornings, um, and, and I'm just glad to do it in a time where, you know, this is a time slot when God's people are kind of used to being in church, although not every church does something on Wednesday night, but uh, it's, it's a time that I think fits well, and I'm just excited to study the Bible with you, so... You know, we, as I was mentioning, we had that COVID. My whole family ended up with COVID. Praise God, we all recovered. But it took several weeks. It really laid us out. Um, the fatigue was horrible. It took, I would say it took till mid-January after getting it around Thanksgiving before I really felt normal and had an energy level that, that could produce a full day's work and, and, and even stick around for some work in, in the evenings and things. But... Uh, Praise God. I know there are others. We, we, we are always praying for those who didn't make it through this virus. And really, who didn't make it for a lot of reasons. I mean, death is a part of our world, and it is, it is hard for us. We mourn those that we lose, and that is as it should be. God made us emotional beings that need to mourn, but at the same time, we celebrate for eternal life. When we, when we know the life and faith of those that we love, we really have something to celebrate in their being with Christ in all eternity, as one day we all shall be. Well, this evening, if you want to uh, be a part of, uh, of the study, I'm going to invite you to do a couple things. Get a notepad and a pencil. I love for people to take notes. And I, I put on the blackboard, well, whiteboard here, black ink. I've put on some, some Greek words. There's a lot of Greek words on there tonight. I don't do that every week. It's just that this passage has several words. So when I'm studying the context and really trying to get at what the original meaning was, sometimes there's Greek words that just jump out that we need to grab a hold of. <clears throat> and you know, I think, I may have forgot to turn my microphone on. I'm going to turn it on. 
There we go. And I'm hoping we can boost the sound in here. So that, because when you're in a larger room, you really need volume. And so, is that better? Is anyone, maybe you can tell me if it's better or worse. I can turn it back off if it's, if it's worse. But, uh, uh, you can put a little comment in there. I've got my laptop right here. I'm going to try and see your comments throughout the evening. Uh, and I want, to, I want to invite you to participate, whether you're here in person, whether you're online. Participate by asking a question, making a comment. There's no such thing as a dumb question. We're all here to learn. I do not have all the answers. I just know how to look them up. But uh, God does. And so we want to invite the Lord to be here. One of the things you'll find... If you look on the Brown Valley Ministries page under photos, there is a prayer, and it is a pr called a prayer before the study of Scripture. I love this prayer. Judith said that's better. Good deal, Judith. Thank you. I love this prayer. I discovered this prayer before I ever knew whose it was. It was attributed, actually, to St. John Chrysostom, great uh, Archbishop of Constantinople back in the 4th century. And uh, it, it's just beautiful. It says what I want to say when I open God's Word, and I want Him to illumine my mind and my heart. So, give you just a moment. Look for it. You've got a pad, a paper, and a pencil. Uh, look for that prayer card, and then I'm going to invite you to pray it with me. So that right there in the living room, just pray it out loud. Pray it with me. This is a habit-forming prayer. Print it off. Tuck it in your Bible. I cut them down so I have them, you know, bookmark size, keep it in my books and my Bibles. Every time you open the Word of God to study a little bit, or just to meditate, ask, ask the Lord, read this prayer. It will soon become the prayer of your heart. So if you have it there, before we jump into the Scripture, let us pray this prayer before Scripture, the of Scripture. Illumine our hearts, O Master, lover of all humanity, with the pure light of your divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our hearts that we may understand your gospel teachings. Implant deep within us the fear of your blessed commandments, that through them we may conquer all carnal desires and we be transformed to live, both thinking and doing the things that are pleasing to you. For you, O Lord, are the light of our souls and bodies, and unto you we give all glory and praise, together with our Father, who is from everlasting, and the all-holy, good, and life-creating Spirit, now and ever, and unto ages of ages. Amen. Prayer for us, to keep with you. Thank you for praying with me. Um, as we go through the evening, and we'll close again in prayer later, I want you to feel free to share on the Facebook page or anywhere. Share a prayer request if there's a burden on your heart tonight. We're going to pray together at the end of our study as well. And uh, just pray for God to speak to us between now and then. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, just open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, verse 40. Oh, and I want to make a comment for those of you that are new. You can catch up. All of the previous eight chapters, all of them are on this page that you're on. There's videos. You can watch it there, or you can listen to them on a podcast I have. And you can find them, you have to scroll just a little bit, but there are, they're by date, and uh, other things are on there, classes and lectures and things that I've done. The podcast is called Forming the Spirit Within, and you'll find that at formingthespiritwithin.org. So, a couple places where you can catch up with us. 
But let's jump in right now. And let's hear the word of the Lord. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him. For they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he decided to come to his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As he went, the people pressed around him, and a woman who had a flow of blood for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her flow of blood was ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the multitudes surround you and press upon you. But Jesus said, Someone touch me, for I perceive that power has gone forth from you. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now while he was speaking, a man from the ruler's house came and said, Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, answered him, Do not fear. Only believe. And she shall be well. And when he came to the house, he permitted no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James, and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and bewailing her. But he said, Do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once, and he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed. But he charged them to tell no one what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we begin, we see two amazing stories that Luke has woven together here for us. And I think it's fitting that he wove these two, uh, these two amazing miracles together because they're going to, going to give you some background on what some of the early church fathers actually saw in meaning as they read this thought of why Luke told the story the way he did. Uh, when we think about the young girl, Jairus' daughter, and we think about this older woman, or the woman with the flow and the issue of blood, we see something fascinating. Both of them, both of them, the number 12, 12 years comes into play in both of their stories. The young girl died at the age of 12. The woman had been suffering for 12 long years, spending her life, her life savings undoubtedly, going everywhere, struggling for a physician that can help her and heal her, and coming up empty every time. So we're going to talk about that in just a little bit. What is, the, what is it that, that, the, that the early church fathers saw in this 12 that, that makes sense to us today? I think you'll be interested in that. But, but let's begin by looking at verse 41. There's a couple of things in verse 41. I'm just going to call out some of these, these thoughts to you. Uh, 
In, in verse 41, in, in the passage that I read, in the, the translation I read, which is the RSV, I do my study through, through the ancient church fathers in what's called the revised, the revised standard version, which is the tucked within the ancient Christian commentary on scripture. You know, I have lots of commentary books by lots and lots of different people, but I, I like to always consult the oldest commentaries first. These are, these are the writers of the first few Christian centuries. Hear what they had to say before I start reading things from later centuries and certain modern times, kind of be able to compare them and see if things sound consistent, how they, how they uh, pass down through the years, to be sure we're really studying the original context and the original meaning. But the RSV, in verse 41, it starts, and there came a man. That's missing something. The RSV is usually pretty good at staying true to the literal rendering. But there's a word here that Luke uses to capture the reader's attention. He uses, in most English translations, he'll say, and there came, that phrase. But in the Greek, that, that is ora, orao, okay, orao, H-O-R-A-O, orao. And what it means is, behold. Luke is trying to get our attention. Behold is one of Luke's favorite words in here, behold. Take note, this is something incredible that I'm about to tell you. So we start off with this word, it means behold. You just put that right on there. In case you're taking notes, we're going to look back over it. Behold. Now, as he says that, what is happening here? He wants you to see what's happening. Jairus, and Jairus, the scripture tells us Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. A ruler of the synagogue was would be today perhaps like one of our board members or church leaders or, or a, a, an unordained office. Some churches might call them elders or deacons, but they're the unordained elders and deacons. They're not the presbytery or the priest or whatever. He was a ruler of the synagogue, kind of a, a, a presidential figure within the synagogue who helped prepare it for services, was responsible for the upkeep, maybe like a trustee or something. So Jairus is a very important figure in the Jewish synagogue in this, in this place. And when his daughter becomes ill, and he knows that Jesus is near, Jesus is coming by, he has only one thought. I've got to get to Jesus, and I've got to beg him to come and heal my daughter. And I can tell you, having a daughter myself, I would do the same thing for my son, any child, my wife, and even somebody that's close, you're going to beg to find whatever he can will help him. That's exactly what Jairus is doing. And he's showing his faith. He's heard the stories. Undoubtedly, he's heard the miracles that Jesus has performed. And he's there falling at Jesus' feet. Look, note very carefully. It says that in verse 41, falling at Jesus' feet, he besought him to come. Now, this, this is another word. This is the second word I want you to take note of, where it says he besought him. The Greek word is parakaleo, parakleo, or parakaleo. And that means literally to beg, to beg. The old English word here, besought or beseech, but he begged Jesus, fell at his, on his knees, at Jesus' feet. And it actually says that, that if you look at this version, it actually says that, that he was, uh, let me find it here for you. Falling at Jesus' feet, he 
excited to come to his house. So he's going to beg Jesus, for he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age. Now, significant, at 12 years of age, 12 in the Jewish faith, 12 was the age where you were becoming an adult. I know that sounds crazy, but that's in modern times. Uh, wow, when I think of 12-year-old kids being considered adults, that's beyond me. But life was much different a few thousand years ago. But 12 years of age is when the boys had their synagogue service called it Bat Mitzvah. And the girls, I mean the Bar Mitzvah, the girls had a synagogue service called it Bat Mitzvah. The only difference is the R and the T. Okay? Bar Mitzvah for boys, Bat Mitzvah for girls. And that was kind of the coming of age. They, they recite the Torah, they show a lot of what they've learned, and there's this coming of age service in which they become a man or a woman. So a 12-year-old girl is, is really, this is a transition point in her life. And it's tragic to think that she's getting this sick and dying at such a, a young age. But I want you to follow in on this, this idea. Here's this, here's this Jewish leader begging Jesus on his knees to come and heal his daughter. And what happens? You know that wherever Jesus is, there's a crowd, right? There's a crowd. I see Sandra joined us. Good to see you, Sandra. So this crowd is pressing in around Jesus. Jairus has to. He's already made his way through that crowd, but the problem is, as you look here, it says in verse the latter half of verse 42, and as he went, the people pressed around him. So Jesus is responding. He's going to go with Jairus, but people keep pressing around him. I mean, it is really a, a, a sight to see. And it says that, so we, let's read into this just a little bit. We can infer a lot from this, that, that we know if you were in that position humanly, you would be devastated to see this big crowd pressing in around Jesus when you've got one thought, and that's getting out of there and getting out of there quickly, because we've got to get him back to my house to heal my daughter before she might die. But what's happening? Distractions, major distractions. It says in verse 43 that this woman who has suffered now, and it tells us that she's suffered for 12 years. We don't know exactly what her condition was, but this was a, a, a some type of a, an internal hemorrhaging, something that had obviously robbed her of her vitality, robbed her of her money as she sought physician after physician. And it says she could not be healed by anyone. That tells us that she obviously tried many times. So here's this devastated woman, and it, it tells us that she comes up behind Jesus and touches the fringe of his garment. Now, in the Old Testament, Levitical law teaches us that, the, the Mosaic law and some of the instructions in, in the Levitical law teaches us that the pious Jews, holy pious Jews, wore tassels at the bottom of their garment. Kind of like if you see in the in the sanctuary here, the uh, you see the gold tassels at the bottom of the impairment on the lectern. That idea, there was this fringe, this tassel hanging down it. And, and she wanted to just touch it. Think about who she is. Number one, by having this issue of blood, she is considered unclean. She shouldn't even be in the crowd because now anyone she touches is to be considered unclean. So she's been living for 12 years as an outcast in her own society, unable to be a part of the synagogue life, which was the communal life. 
unable to do anything with other people because she was permanently unclean. And she knows that if she calls attention to herself, everybody's going to say, she's unclean, get her out of here. So she's trying her best. Imagine she's probably got some, maybe a covering over her hood-like situation so nobody recognizes her. And she, and she finds her way, pressed through to touch Jesus. She's just made several people unclean by coming to touch them. But that doesn't matter now. All that matters is that she gets to Jesus. And when she touches him, he stops. When she touches him, the fringe, she doesn't touch him. She touches just the hem of his garment. And it's amazing. He stops. Jesus stops. Let's watch what happens here. Jesus immediately stops and he said, who was it? Now, you've you got to kind of laugh a little bit at the disciple. Everybody's denying it, you know. Even though everybody's actually touching him in this crowd. Peter says, Master, look around you. There are multitudes of people here pressing in on us. He's sarcastically, you can hear Everybody's touching you. What do you mean? Who touched you? <laughs> in that situation, Jesus says, Someone touched you. This is verse 46. Someone touched me, for I perceive, perceive that all power has gone out from me. Or that power, not all. I perceive that power has gone forth from me. Now, let's stop and talk about that just a little bit. This idea that in, in verse 44 and 45, uh, th there is this thought. I don't want to rush by it that is connects to the power that I'm about to talk about. If you look back up in verse 44, you see that it says, immediately her flow of blood stopped. Immediately. She could feel within her own body restored health. The flow of blood stopped. And Jesus felt immediately power go out for him. Now, this is the word, parakrema, Parakrema, this Greek word that means literally immediate. Immediate. Why? It's so important. There's no lag, there's no time, because the reason this is so important is for us to understand that Jesus doesn't have to summon the power to do this. Jesus doesn't have to call upon the Father to give him the power to do this. There, we see times when Jesus is praying to the Father and he's directing and teaching. But Jesus is God. And power has gone out from him because he is the source of all power. You touch it, there's power. But not just any touch, because you notice multitudes have been touching. Everybody, I imagine there were other people in the crowd that were maybe sick or that. Something, I mean, it wasn't like there was this magic. If they're just touching Jesus, they're getting well. But what there is, is this understanding that this woman had faith. And it was her faith that caused her to do everything she wasn't supposed to do. To get to Jesus. To touch the hem of his, even the hem of his arm. And immediately, power has flowed from the source of all power. I mean, Jesus Christ is the creator of the world. We can understand when we think about his nature, his essence, as God, is power, the source.
she's no longer hidden, okay, that she comes forward. She comes forward and she confesses, she admits. It says she came trembling. Why is she trembling? Well, she doesn't really know Jesus. She's heard about him. She believed and had faith, but, but she's probably used to every time she went near anyone or did anything, people calling her down and putting her in her place. And so she's a little bit afraid. What's he going to say to me? I mean, there was this immediate stop. There was this immediate change. And, and she's a little worried. What's he going to say to me? And, and so she falls down before him. Again, here's the falling down. Just like Jairus did. We see people falling down before Jesus to acknowledge in, in a manner of worship. Knowledge to fall down. In fact, the root word for the Hebrew, in, in the old Hebrew language, the root of the word to worship is to fall down. This is why, uh, this is why many people feel that, and I think rightfully so, that worship isn't just an intellectual ascent. It's a total body experience. Mind, heart, and body. That we, the, the triumvirate person, if you will, the, 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 the trinity of the personhood, the, the mind, the heart, which represents the soul, and the, the body, that we acknowledge Jesus in all of our senses. This is why ancient worship always used sound, uh, bells, and horns. This is why ancient, you know, the hearing was important to call people's attention. Ancient worship always used incense. You can see it from the very beginning of worship in the Bible. Incense uh, was a pleasing aroma to God, and it was representative of their prayers going up, and it represented the worship that was happening in the throne room of heaven. If you look in the book of Revelation, you kind of look into there, you see these golden bowls of incense that the saints are lifting before the altar of God. So there's this context in which falling down is a pattern for worship. It's the pattern for worship. So we worship with our whole being, not just our mind. Now, falling down before him, she says, uh, it declared in the presence of all the people why she touched him. She, she declared to them, I've been 12 years with this issue. No one, none of the best physicians in this land can heal me. But all I did was touch the hem of your garment because I believed and I was immediately here again, she says the word, you know, uh, uh, Luke uses that word immediately. She was healed. She knew that she was healed. And Jesus looks at her, and his response is so beautiful. He says, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Your faith has made you well. And it's so important for us to not rush by that. Yes, the power is from Jesus, but the only tap into that power was her faith. Without that faith, she wasn't made well. It's pretty important for us to stop and think about that. Now, all the while this side story is happening with this woman, what's happening to poor Jairus? I can't imagine. I mean, can you imagine how he must feel? You know, it doesn't tell us that he's saying hurry up. It doesn't tell us that. But you know, he has to be feeling concerned that the longer this takes, I'm never going to get Jesus in my house. My daughter's going to die. And at that moment, Luke tells us something really important. In verse 
49, Luke uses a, a, a style of writing here that's called the historic present, okay, in the Greek language. And he says, this man comes up to Jairus and says, your daughter is dead. Wow. Your daughter is dead. He doesn't come up and say, uh, your, your daughter has died. He says, your daughter is dead. Luke is trying to make a point here of the state of being of this little girl. She is presently, perfectly dead. And so Jesus says, uh, and the man tells him, don't trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus hears this, he says, do not fear. Only believe. Here's that faith portion we talked about. Do not fear. Only believe. And she will be well. And it says, when he came to the house, you know the rest of the story. He came in, he didn't let. There's already mourners there. This was part of the Jewish custom. They're wailing and weeping, and there's loud laments going on, and, and that's part of the custom of, the, of, of public mourning for when a loved one's died. And he takes just a father and mother, and he takes Peter and James and John. Again, that inner circle that got to see so much of the amazing ministry of Jesus. And everyone else has to say that. But before he takes them in, he says these fascinating words. And he says, do not weep. He's telling these mourners that they're doing their job that morning. He said, do not weep, for she's not dead. She's only sleeping. As it tells us, the people laughed at it. Can you imagine that scene where people start to quiet down, they stop their mourning. I mean, Jesus had to raise his voice, I'm sure, just to get their attention. And they didn't even laugh at it. As if this guy does not even know what he's talking about. We know a dead person when we see one. This girl's dead. It's always a question, it's always a curious question when people think, why? Why did Jesus say she was only sleeping? Some people have wandered off into some aberrant theologies about the sleep of the soul, about the sleep, uh, you know, not that she wasn't really dead, just like they had with Christ on the cross. Well, then he wasn't really dead. He, was, he would just swoon, or that he was in a coma, or that he was not really dead. But you see, that's not the teaching. That's not the scripture. There's a reason why Jesus said she's on the scene. Because he wanted the public crowd on record of saying, no, she's dead. Working this stuff. Because after he raises her from the dead, now they can't say, oh, she wasn't really dead. <laughs> that, that didn't get a flow. She's dead. Thank goodness. And Jesus takes them up into the room and he looks at this Dear child laying there. And he speaks these words. I put these words. There, there's three different words here that I'm going to touch base on. This one, this one, and this one. These are very important words. The first one, phoneo. Phoneo is the word where it says, and taking her by the hand, he called. That word called there in the Greek, that doesn't give us the, the rendering. In the Greek, it tells us phoneo. Phoneo means he called in a loud voice. Okay? It's used in other parts of Scripture. We can think it's, it's used over there in a couple of places. In Matthew, where it says there was a, a 
read was in Matthew chapter 2. That's where it says, There was a weeping like Rachel mourning for her children. Uh, there was a loud weeping. Uh, in Mark chapter 1, where there's an evil spirit that cries out, out loud. Th this is a cry, it's a loud. It's even used when it talks about the rooster crowing. That's the same word, phoneo. We get the, we, we get the word, you can hear uh, phonograph from this. The idea is that it's audible and it's amplified. So, Jesus says, child, arise. Now, the word arise, first of all, the child, I mean, child is pais, okay, pais, P-A-I-S, pais. Okay, and that literally means a young boy or girl, but a child. Child, arise. Now, the word he uses for arise is egeiro, egeiro, E-G-E-I-R-O, egeiro, okay, egeiro, egeiro, I think that's correct what it said, egeiro. What does that mean? It, it literally means immediately arise. Okay, there was no, there was no, uh, she starts to open her eyes just barely, there was no uh, just just uh, start to rousing a little because like, no, no, none of that. Look at the word with me. Taking her by the hand, he said, child arise, and her spirit returned. Her spirit returned immediately again. And she got up at once, and he directed that something be given to her to eat. So you can imagine that she probably said, hey, I'm hungry. I mean, she was as normal as normal could be. She was not sick in any way. She wasn't just recovering. She was perfectly normal. And like any child of 12, perfectly hungry. <laughs> so uh, it's just, again, these things are tucked away in there by Luke as he tells the story, as he paints a picture for us so that we'll stop and notice them. And it says in verse 56, it, it says that her parents were amazed. I think I put another word here. I didn't. So I, I forgot to write on the board. This means child. This one means uh, rise up. Okay, immediately a command. And then epistrepho. Epistrepho means that this family is, this, this whole idea is that it returned. Okay, this is the word that means that it returned. Her spirit returned. Okay. And it returned immediately. Okay, that this, we're putting all this together by looking at the original language. It returned immediately. And so her parents, it says in the last verse we say tonight, her parents were amazed. I would be too. You would be too. I mean, how amazing is that? The Lord of life heals your daughter when you thought all hope was lost. And he doesn't just make her well, he makes her whole. So he doesn't just let healing begin. She's restored. She's arisen. Now, in their amazement, Jesus does something here that we see him do a lot. Jesus says, the last lines we were studying tonight, he says, uh, he tells them, do not tell anyone what has happened. Now, as we study other gospels and other gospel passages, I've always told you, this is what I like to call the messianic secret. 
Why does Jesus always tell people, don't tell anybody? They do this amazing thing. He says, don't go tell anybody. There's a good reason for that. Because Jesus understands. It wasn't because Jesus is afraid the crowds would be so oppressed he'd never get his word done. He's God. He can get his word done. There's a reason for that. Because he knows that in the fullness of time, he's going to die. He's going to conquer the grave. He's going to go back to heaven and send the gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's only through the giving of the Holy Spirit that we are able to see the power of the cross. The cross only makes sense to us through the gift and the power of the Holy Spirit. The miracles of Jesus, the life of Jesus, everything about the gospel only makes sense when we come to view it through the eyes of when we study the Gospel of John and all of that's on the uh, podcast if you ever want to go back and look at it uh, one of the things that we noted was there were several places where Jesus, Jesus always said you know I've got more to say to you but it'll have to wait when the Holy Spirit comes he will guide you in all truth so this messianic secret is important it is uh, Jesus telling people to keep it quiet nobody's going to understand it anyway right now of course, we know that, like we did last 11 weeks ago, I was just in last week in our study, but it was actually 11 weeks ago, when we were studying the second part of chapter 8, when Jesus healed the demoniac, the garrison demoniac. He didn't, he didn't keep it quiet either. Everybody, nobody keeps it quiet. Except, sadly, today, I think Jesus is doing a lot of amazing things in lives, and we're not testifying to it. So if there's ever a time to start testifying, now's the day. Now's the time. Uh, and that's a call to the church, I think. So now I'm going to wrap this whole study up tonight by talking to you about this woman and this little girl in the number 12. And then relate to this closing thought of it's time to testify. If you, will, if you will receive it, early church fathers saw in this kind of allegorical understanding as well as literal understanding. And that allegorical understanding was that the 12-year-old girl, well, let me start with the woman, the woman with the issue of being older, represents the old people of God, the old covenant people of God. And they're sick. There's an issue there. And nothing is going to heal it except Christ, except the Messiah. And then we have this 12-year-old girl. This 12-year-old girl is uh, she's the prime of life. So she's new. She's young. She's vibrant. She's inexperienced in a way. And this represents the new people of God. The New Testament church, if you will. And it can only come alive. And it can only be what it needs to be.
This 12 years for the older woman to suffer, 12 year old younger girl. 12 is always symbolic in these gospel stories of representing everyone. If you, if you go back to the story in John where there's feeding of 5,000 and 4,000, you remember that one, they had uh, 12 baskets full and 7 baskets full in the other. And the 12 represented every one of the children of Israel. Okay? The Messiah had come to care for and take care of every one of the children of Israel. Now, this, I think that the, the early fathers are right because this 12 could have been seven. Seven-year-old girl wouldn't be of the age of, of uh, accountability yet, but, but yet the seven, let's say it were seven, the sick lady and the young girl were. And that would, be, that would speak to the whole world. We know that Christ is for the whole world. But his gospel message here is for the people of God. He's, he's in Israel. He's ministering first to the house of Israel. And he wants them to understand that all of you, this woman, you outcast, no longer. Everyone is welcome. All of Israel. I'm the Messiah, and I'm here for everyone in Israel. So I, there's this amazing significance here that sometimes we miss if we don't step into some of the the deeper study here. Um, next week when we begin, uh, we'll be talking about Jesus sending out the twelve uh, on their kind of apostolic mission to preach the kingdom of God. But tonight, we'll, we'll let that be enough for our study, but, but let's just stop and, and, and have a few minutes to pray. Uh, I, I'm trying to look on my Facebook here. I don't see that anybody's made a comment, but if there is any that something that you specifically but let's take this time in the Spirit to just pray over, uh, pray over your request. Uh, I, I have a couple. I shared with the church on Sunday morning that, that I, you know, my, a couple of weeks ago I talked about my mother-in-law's wound, open sore that will not heal for almost a year now. She's not even diabetic. Goes to these wound therapy treatments every week. And, and I'm believing in the power of God to and, and my wife got some more bad news. At first, they, the first report was that there was something broken in her back, and now it looks more like there's some type of disease there, um, but there's pain accompanied with it. And, you know, I'm just asking the Lord to touch her. I'm asking the Lord to touch her and her mom both. What's on your heart? Is there anything? Sarah put a note here. Love the parallel of the old and young healing asking for prayers healing for our nation. Thank you, Sarah. Yes, yes, yes. We need divine healing in this country. We need it in the worst way. But I'm convinced the only way it's going to come is that we, we who name the name of Christ, the Church of Jesus Christ, in all her forms, I don't care whether it's Catholic, Protestant, whatever, the Church of Jesus Christ really begins to stand and testify who God is, who Christ is, what He's done for us. And, and I don't mean go out on the street corner and, and proclaim it. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about live this testimony in such a way that people see. Jesus said, let your light shine such that people will see your good works. They will see your faith and they will glorify the Father in heaven. And, and so we pray for the healing of our 
And that means to pray for our healing, the healing of the church, the healing of the believers who have been living timid lives, who have not been living up to the name and the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within them. And I'm really, I'm really strong on this idea of you get to know me long enough in this study and in listening to my sermons in the church. I'm going to preach about the power of the Holy Spirit. As you know, the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, this, this was a hallmark of the Methodist founding. Uh, and here we are in Methodist Church now. The hallmark of Methodism was that John Wesley's teachings on the Holy Spirit. It is what drew me to, uh, to the Wesleyan thought. You know, I first came through the Church of Nazarene, was eventually ordained, uh, which is a Wesleyan sister-type church to the Methodist Church. And, uh, and I love the Methodist Church for her founding and her beliefs. But we've got to rediscover the power of the Holy Spirit, the gift that God wants to use in our lives. We're the plan. So, so thank you, Sarah, for bringing that to us. Anybody else, just feel free to type it in there. Um, I, I usually try and teach about 45 minutes or so at least in prayer. You'll, you'll look at some of the other podcasts. They some of them go an hour, but uh, so I can get carried away sometimes. But uh, sometimes this is a fairly lengthy passage of Scripture, too, that I, I don't usually cover that much because I, I want, but the story just felt like we had to cover all of that. Um, and not break it up. And I don't by any means mean to say that my teaching is exhausting, but oh, there's so much more that others should pull out of this. But it's what God gave me to share with you tonight. And I'm so glad to be back in Bible study. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm praying. Here's one more request. You know my wife's, my, my, uh, my wife's mother, my wife's request, pray for the healing of our nation. I want to pray specifically for the opening of of our churches. We have to get past this isolation. It's where we're going to use isolation. I know we're trying to be safe. But there's always been viruses. There always will be viruses. There's always been pandemics and there always will be pandemics. But we have to get past the isolation eventually. I'm not saying this is the moment. I'm not saying throw all caution to the wind. I'm saying, let the Spirit of God lead. And let's ask Him to help us get back in our churches so that our churches can get back into our communities and not feel so isolated. I really believe God's been using this pandemic time. He's breaking us out. This whole online thing, huge, huge, absolutely huge. But the future of God's church is only as it says in the book of Hebrews, we've got to gather together. So, in God's time and in God's name, not by my word, but by His. Well, let us pray tonight. Father in heaven, what a privilege it is to open your word What a privilege it is to be in Bible study. And as we pray tonight, we have some special things on our heart. And I always remember the whole Bible there's so many people on that. And we lift them all to you for the never loving healing touch. But specifically tonight, I ask for healing, healing touch for my wife and I. She gets it a lot better. And I know she gets discouraged. But Father, I believe you are teaching her, even through the discouragement. Open her heart to hear the teaching and, and reach out and touch her. 
time for today. If this episode has been a blessing to you, I hope you'll subscribe and join me again on this journey. If you have a question or a comment, please feel free to offer it here or contact me directly at bradrallyministries.org. I'd love to visit with you personally about your spiritual journey. Thanks again for listening and let's keep seeking to have the Spirit of Christ formed within us. God bless you.